You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. My name's Dean. I'm the pastor at City Church. Thanks for making this part of your Sunday. We're in a series called My Easter Story, looking at post-Easter, post-resurrection encounters different characters in the Bible had with the resurrected Lord, with the message of the resurrection, and how it impacted their lives, and honestly, how it changed the world. Uh, before I jump into that, happy Mother's Day uh, to all the moms out there. Just know that we are very thankful for you and hope that you can truly be honored on this day. Uh, and I think it even extends beyond that. I want to say happy Mother's Day, whether you realize it or not, to godparents in this room, to stepmothers, uh, to people who function very much in a motherly type role, a second mom, third mom uh, that many people have in their lives. Uh, this is a day that, that many people uh, can claim. So I just want to remind you of that, uh, that as we celebrate moms today, we celebrate you as well. I'm going to pray for us and we'll jump into my Easter story. Father, we are grateful for moms. Uh, we are thankful uh, to get the chance today to honor them, and we just ask that you bless them today, and most importantly, that they're pointed to Christ and your sufficiency uh, above all things. I thank you for those who have raised children who are now adults and now can see their legacy in place. I thank you for those who are expecting right now, already as moms of the child in the womb. Lord, I also lift up those to you today that this is not the greatest day. Maybe it causes them to miss their mother. Maybe it's those who desire to be a mother. Lord, we know that you give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's not cliche. That is the truth of the scriptures. Uh, so we ask that people will cling to you today. So we rejoice with those who rejoice, as the scriptures tell us. We're also mindful of those who mourn, and we do the same with them. So I ask you to speak through me this morning. We ask you to be with all the churches in Tallahassee as they gather today. We ask you to be with those in our congregation who are sick who are being treated. We ask you to be with Wesley Gaskins in New York and his family as we're thankful for another successful surgery and we just ask that he will fully be healed and recover. We pray for other church members who have cancer, other illnesses. Lord, we pray for families that are struggling. Lord, we lift up the name of Jesus as the way, the truth, the life. Let us look to him and him alone for our salvation and for all of our ultimate needs. I ask you to keep the enemy out of this place and out of our city, and that the name of Jesus will be proclaimed today. And it's the name of Christ we ask this. Amen. We think the best thing to do for moms on Mother's Day is to preach the Bible. Uh, so that's what we'll be doing today uh, in my Easter story. We're going to talk this morning about the women at the tomb. And it's not because it's Mother's Day, it just kind of randomly happened that way. Uh, but the women at the tomb. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 23 to set the context. Then we'll be in the first 12 verses of chapter 24. We see there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, the religious establishment, who had not agreed with their plan and action. Perhaps he actually believed for himself that Jesus was the Messiah. He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and was looking forward to the kingdom of God. So we see that something was clicking in his head about who Jesus was. He approached Pilate, which is a pretty gutsy move, and asked for Jesus' body. Taking it down, he wrapped it in fine linen, very much took care of the, the Jesus that he knew and admired, and placed it in a tomb cut into the rock. This is simply the burial of Jesus after he actually died, where no one had ever been placed, so a special tomb just for him. It was a preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. 
They had a great affection for Jesus, and they were watching, wanted to make sure he was taken care of. We're trusting this guy named Joseph of Arimathea to, to handle his body properly and with dignity. Again, resurrection is not on their mind. We get to read the Bible backwards. We know the whole story. And by, by that, if you're new to understanding the Bible, what I mean is we know there is an Easter, that he actually rose from the grave, so we read it in that context. They did not know this yet. Even though Jesus predicted it and hinted at it and even said it, it still didn't register. Why? Because dead people don't come back to life. That sounds absurd. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, as was customary at this time, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. We get to chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb. Bringing the spices they had prepared, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. What happened? Did they steal the body? What's going on here? They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. These are angels here. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. Because he's dead? We saw him die. We followed Joseph to make sure he was buried properly. We were watching. We actually saw the stone rolled in. He's not here. Well, I know he's not here. I guess his body was stolen. No, he's not here, but he has risen. He is alive. Remember? Take your mind back. This should not shock you. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee? You spent time with him. You should know this, saying it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. God had planned this. Be crucified and rise on the third day, and it clicked. They remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things, that Jesus was dead and now he's alive. We've seen the tomb. We had an angel, an angel encounter. But these words seem like nonsense to them. Again, dead people don't come back to life. They did not believe the women. Peter, however, last verse, Peter's a different story the one who used to deny that he knew Jesus because he was fearing for his own life, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stopped to look in, he saw only the linen clothes. So he went away amazed at what had happened. I think it's the biggest flex ever that Jesus left his clothes. I think that's just amazing. That's one of my favorite parts of the story. So here we have the Easter story of the women at the tomb. People who saw him literally buried, they loved him and wanted to make sure that he was properly honored, his body, and cared for in his death. But there's more to it than this. Andreas Kostenberg, one of the great New Testament scholars in America, he said that in the first century, women were not even eligible to testify in a Jewish court of law. Kostenberg goes on to say that Celsus, Celsus, the second century critic of Christianity, this is important background here, mocked the idea of Mary Magdalene as an alleged resurrection witness, referring to her as a hysterical female deluded by society. He says this background matters because it points to two crucial truths. He goes on, first, it is a theological reminder that the kingdom of the Messiah turns the system of the world on its head. 
Into this culture, Jesus radically affirmed the full dignity of women and the vital value of their witness. Second, it is a powerful apologetic reminder of the historical accuracy of the resurrection accounts. If these were cleverly devised myths, women would never have been presented as the first eyewitnesses of the risen Christ. One more background quote, Stephanus Jane Judd. In the world of the first century Palestine, a woman's testimony was not recognized as legally binding. Frankly, it was an embarrassment for our first century brothers and sisters that the resurrection account is pinned on the testimony of women. It is not something you would write into the story unless, of course, it was actually true. As I studied this text this week, I believe that there are some components of, these, of the Easter story of these women that we need to look at and celebrate and acknowledge. And the first thing is this, that God displayed their dignity. God displayed their dignity. In this first century culture, women actually were oppressed. Yes, that's happened in this country too, I'm well aware of that, but this and then some in the first century. And here's God sending the angels and appearing before them and saying, I want you to be the first to know. Reminds me of the Christmas story. Shepherds in a first century society were very much looked down upon. They were seen as lower class. They were excluded from the religious practices of the day. So the shepherds are actually raising the sheep to be sacrificed by the high priest, but they weren't allowed to participate in the actual sacrifice. So reminders and reminders daily of their unworthiness, of their place in society, how they're missing out, and all of a sudden, they're out in their field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and an angel appears. A Messiah has been born for you in Bethlehem. And God wants you to be the first to know. How amazing that God doesn't play by our categories. We see in the scriptures there's no favoritism with him. So if you're someone in this room who's ever felt like a second-class citizen, ever felt like you didn't get your fair share, ever felt like you continue to get overlooked, maybe you've been treated misogynistically. Maybe you've experienced racism. Just know, God doesn't operate like the world operates. When he sees you, he sees someone with dignity and worth. And here's what's cool about Mother's Day. Mother's Day really flies at the face of the world. Even though Mother's Day is celebrated by all over the country, every company today is going to post something about Mother's Day, every college football team account, every, you, know, um, you name it. I mean, everyone's going to post something about Mother's Day. Every, on Father's Day, it's the girl with her dad at her wedding walking down. On Mother's Day, it's a picture of mom. We celebrate it everywhere. But here's what we're telling people without even realizing it. Mother's Day affirms the worth and dignity of every person. Why? Man and woman, why? Because the scriptures say we were knitted together in our mother's womb. Mothers, that no one here is an accident. 
that life begins at conception and our God is a creative designer and we believe that every single person is made in the image of God. And Mother's Day verifies that. It pierces through political ideas and social media fighting to hold it up and say, your life matters. It's worth something. So here are these women who are mocked, who are, they can't even vote, can't even have an opinion. And God says, I want you to be the first to know that the Jesus who died is now alive. Anyone who tells you that Christianity is anti-women, tell them to, in a loving way, stick it where the sun don't shine. It's also important to know that your dignity is not based on the fact that you're a mother. Your dignity is not based on the fact of actually anything that you've accomplished in this world. It's based on the creator who has made you. That is where your dignity lies. And number two, they were given the whole story. They were given the whole story. Verse 7 of chapter 24, the angel saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And it says they remembered his words. Yes, we are made in the image of God. Yes, we have dignity and worth and value. But rather than worship God, we rebelled against him. We sinned. Said, God, I don't want you, I want your stuff. I don't want to worship you, I want to worship me. I want to worship the creation. Romans says we exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship created things instead of the creator. And God will not let sin go unpunished, but rather punishing us as our sins deserved. Jesus, who never sinned, was punished in our place. Take on the death penalty that should have been for us so that now we are forgiven, reconciled to God. That's why it's called the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for sinners. Think about a good Friday without an Easter. There's nothing good about it. It's simply a tragic figure. Maybe he led people astray. Maybe he lied. Maybe he was insane, as C.S. Lewis would say. Maybe he was a liar or a lunatic. But the resurrection shows once and for all, not only that he is Lord, which is so significant, but that Good Friday actually had a purpose. The cross actually mattered. So the angels are saying, don't you remember you're so distraught that he died. This was God's plan. He came here to die. He came here to seek and save the lost. Well, how does he save the lost? By dying for them. Then we're told that he rose for their justification. That his resurrection secured all that God set out to accomplish to redeem a people for himself called the church. And they're hearing this. And they're now understanding the entire gospel story. How many people go to church on Easter? And I thank God for every person who walks in the door. We're never going to be the church that says, hey, good to see you. See you next Christmas. Because by that we're saying that the answer in your life is to come to church more. No, we think the answer in your life is Jesus. You need Jesus. And we think if you know Jesus, you want to be a part of the church. But here, so often, what's the point of Easter? Jesus rose from the grave. Okay. Why is that significant? Uh, I'm not making fun of anybody, but I'm just saying in cultural Christianity, especially in the South, a lot of people just don't know. They like the holidays, but don't know the Savior. So to understand Easter, you have to understand Good Friday. And that's why he's pushing this to them and saying, remember what he said. 
that he came here on a mission to die. And then he rose, and you are witnesses of these things. Again, imagine a Good Friday without an Easter. That's what I wrote in my notes, so I was thinking about this. Sitting at Starbucks, of course. Imagine a Good Friday without an Easter. Actually, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that there is no resurrection, we're still in our sins. We haven't been forgiven. We're still in our rebellion against God. We should be pitied, Paul wrote to the Corinthians. But there is a resurrection, so now we have amazing hope, which leads us to number three of their story. They went on mission. They now had a story to actually tell. Verse nine, returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Remember, they're women. So there's already skepticism built in because of the culture at the time. And not only that, listen to the message they're telling. We went to the tomb. He wasn't there. His linen was all folded up, and angels told us what was going on. He's alive. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. When you witness something like that, how can you not go and tell? I mean, imagine how quickly we share the latest political news with someone, sports news with someone. Oh, he signed with the Yankees and he sent them the text. Imagine how quickly we sign up to you know, be the 100,000th person to fund the Kickstarter and get a free album or how quickly we do all of these things. I'm challenged personally by how much these women believe this story that they immediately ran back to tell everybody else. Like, I want to believe this enough where I can't help but share and tell my friends. I was in London this past week, Monday through Friday, whirlwind trip ever. And I went there to go support our church plant, Redeemer Church in Queens Park, uh, that we are a significant financial supporter of, our church, so thank you for your generosity that makes that happen. Very secular area, um, very low percentage of Christians. I think it's like 1% or 2% Christian. Uh, about 25% Muslim, just to give you some context of just how much the church has lost influence and lost mission there. Ashlyn Portero from our church staff was sent over there. So I went also to go check on her. She's doing great, uh, loving the mission there. But I met someone there. And he's a part of the church. He's getting baptized in a few weeks. He came to London from Pakistan. And the reason why he came was to study engineering. Came from a wealthy family, had an opportunity, went to London. While he was there, he just kind of did the old, like, rent a side apartment from someone who happened to be a priest. And the priest just happened to give him a Bible to read. He was always taught that Christianity was, was terrible. And I'm not saying that because he's Muslim, I'm saying that because of the kind of Muslim he was. His family, he has brothers who are training for jihad back in Pakistan from his large family. His family owns American soldier uniforms. I don't need to go into all the detail about how they got those through tragic means from our heroic troops. Well, he just, you know, read the Bible a little bit, tried to understand, he speaks good English, there's an English Bible, tried to understand it a little bit, and then he went home and still had his Bible. He went home for like summer break to Pakistan. And he was reading his Bible at the kitchen table but hiding it under stuff so his family wouldn't see well, his family saw and completely freaked out on him and told him that if he reads this, gone from the family, cut off, not paying for school, everything. Okay, okay, okay. 
goes back to London for the next semester, meets one of our IMB missionaries that we partner with, the network that we're a part of. That's why we give a significant amount as a church to what we call the cooperative program, which is a big pot of churches that all, a figurative pot of churches all around the country who contribute to this to fund and send our missionaries. That's how the Stewarts got to Berlin. That's how Reed and Sarah Nelson are where they are in Africa. That's how Cam and Sophie are in uh, Thailand. That's, that's how our missionaries get there. We fund them. Because the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time, and we got to get it there. So he comes back, and one of our IMB missionaries just starts talking, somehow meets them. I forget the whole story. Met him in a coffee shop or got connected somewhere. Starts reading the Bible with him, sharing the scriptures with him. He starts to understand it. All of a sudden, he gives his life to Christ. And his family doesn't know yet except a brother who found out that he basically for the time being swore to secrecy and those brothers really upset with him. And he started reading his Bible back in Pakistan from a family that's trading to be jihadists. You think that's too good to be true? Jesus rose from the grave. That ain't too good to be true. That should be called Tuesday. But here's the point of the story, besides God radically saving a life. He needed Jesus just as badly as I did, first of all. And still do. But you know what he wants to do now with his life? He wants to go back to Pakistan and be a missionary in his hometown and maybe even start a church. Where he's from in the mountain region, there's maybe 100 known, maybe 100 known Christians, they think, 100, and they're underground. So he wants to go back. Why? It's because every single question he has, has it been answered? No. You know, answering questions matters. That's because he understands that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave, and therefore he is worthy of his very life. It's not just head knowledge that he receives. It's now a mission that he wants to go on no matter what the cost. And I'm just trying to have the courage to talk about Jesus at Starbucks next to Trader Joe's. And here is this person going on mission because what he knows to be true. We are not worthy of such a brother. Pray for him. And pray for the work of the church. Now he's going to our church there. He's a member of our church over there. It's incredible. He's been a Christian since January. He's being discipled. He's learning the Bible. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm sitting there going, how many ridiculous things do we get caught up, here, uh, caught up in here in our country? How many side streets do we walk down figuratively that get us off track for our mission here when this is happening all across the world? They went and, t- they, went and they told the story and the good news. But as the Bible predicts regularly, number four, they face doubters. That was part of their Easter story. They faced doubt. But these words, verse 11, seemed like nonsense to them. They did not believe the women. And yes, it was because, partly because they were women, but also because it sounds insane. 1 Corinthians says the gospel is, fo- is foolishness to the world. They mock it. They can't understand. Like, you're gonna face doubt. You're gonna face opposition you're going to have moments where you realize, is this worth it? Do they think I'm crazy? Am I being socially marginalized? Do I really want to get made fun of? Do I want them to think less of me? Do I want them to think whatever fill in the blank? And all that is, I think, normal human thoughts. But what we believe about the resurrection should triumph all 
of that. That the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is also in us. God fills us with his spirit so we can carry out the tasks that he has called us to. And that's very good news for all of us. And the last thing from their Easter story, little did they know, but number five, they started a movement that changed the world. From these simple, marginalized women, some who had committed great sins, if you read the story of Mary Magdalene, they started a movement that changed the world. Peter, however, he did not doubt in this moment. Verse 12, he got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away, amazed at what had happened. Luke 24 is the last chapter in the book of Luke. Luke also wrote the book of Acts that tells us the story of how the church really started. And guess who God was using to proclaim the, the way, the truth, the life that Jesus Christ had risen from the grave? All the disciples, all the Christians had a part, but Peter was often the mouthpiece. He stood up and said, how can I stop speaking about what I've seen and heard? The type of attitude was, do what you want with me. I know exactly who he is. We're told in the book of Acts that he spoke with great boldness and clarity. Would he have even walked back? I'm, I'm speculating here. Would he have even walked back to the tomb and even known to be able to, yeah, God would have done his thing and God would have gotten the word out, obviously. But God used these women on mission to come back and tell what they saw. And what did Peter do? He ran down there. And when he saw it, he said, I'm ready to tell the world. I'm ready to go and tell the world. Because he's the one. And now it all makes sense. I'm not hanging my head in shame anymore, embarrassed that I followed the one who turned water into wine and healed the blind and healed those who couldn't walk, but then died. Like everybody else has died. I guess there's an explanation for it about how he did those other things. I don't know what it is, but I guess there is one. That caused him to sit by a fire and deny three times that he knew who Jesus was. To now sprint down to the tomb. Stoop in to look, as the scripture says. And see the linen cloths that his savior was buried in. No longer occupied or being worn by Jesus because he was alive. And then we're told he, Jesus, we see that Jesus would appear to them. He cooked them breakfast at the beach. He'd appeared over 500 people at one time. We talked about Easter at the Civic Center. And then the world began to change. And here we are sitting here in Tallahassee, Florida today, to bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to our community, sending missionaries around the world, other churches in our community doing the exact same thing proclaiming that Jesus is alive and it started the message because these women went down to make sure that he was buried properly just out of respect and love and honor for Jesus who they had a great admiration for. They, were they saw angels, were told that he was risen. They decided to run down and tell the disciples. And many, a lot of people would have been like, I'm not saying a word to anybody. They're going to think we're nuts. We must be hallucinating. Somebody's, just, you know, it's a prank. Like, where's the camera? You know, candid camera back in the day. Where's Ashton Kutcher? Am I on punk? You know, like, like that kind of idea. 
They go tell Peter. Peter runs down. The church goes to all the world. We're sitting here today because these women ran and told that our sovereign God had carried out his plan to redeem a people to himself and he will continue to bring his people in and draw them in till every person he has appointed to salvation by his grace has been saved. How incredible. And we get to be a part of that story. Their Easter story is our Easter story. We may not physically see with our own eyes, but we have spiritually seen. And the fact that we were once dead spiritually. And Ephesians tells us we've been brought to life. If anyone's in Christ, 2 Corinthians, that they're a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. Let's live in that and respond to Easter and the resurrection by daily saying, Jesus, here's my life. I'm not an expert at that. I'm a work in progress, probably just like you are. But let's keep going forward with his good news. Why? Because it's true. Because Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the truth of the scriptures that point us to the resurrected Christ. I ask for those in this room that our confidence will grow in the scriptures that we'll be unashamed of the gospel, that we will believe it's the power of salvation. I actually keep us focused on things that matter. That you protect our church. That you allow us to be found faithful going forward with this message. Thank you for what you've done here for almost 15 years. And we're mindful that we stand on the shoulders of many who have gone before, including the women at the tomb who went and spread that good news that Jesus is alive. So those in this room today who maybe have some doubt, who maybe believe certain things but just aren't quite willing yet to surrender, Lord, ask you open their eyes to your love for them, that they can't find that kind of love anywhere else, this unconditional love that while we were sinners, you died for us. I listened to the Bible this morning on the way in, and I'm thankful, Lord, for the text that said that you can that we can never be taken out of your hand from John chapter 10. Let your commitment to us drive our commitment to you. We pray to the one that we can only love because you first loved us. You loved us perfectly. Let our love grow for you because we're convinced of this story. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Let's uh, stand and sing some good news together.